Coming up next, The Bookening, Season 1, Redux, Part 2. This is part two of the year in review. <laughs> Welcome to the year in review. My name is Nathan Alberson, and I will now perform a freestyle rap. Give me the beat, somebody. My name is Nathan, and I'm here to say I think books are really okay. In fact, I think they're really great. If I had to take a book and rate it, I would rate it 10 out of 10. And then I would say, and then, because... Well, my name is Nathan, and I'm steer- still here to say this is my steer. This is my very favorite day, because we're recording the book and so it makes me want to sing but not sing actually rap because i think all singing is really crap the beatles are dumb they're so bad and aerosmith makes me sad but my favorite person is dr dre it's like that guy had a brain ray and he shot it in to my brain and it made me go insane with the things that i really love and Oh, my heaven above. Okay. And welcome to the Bookening. My name is Nathan Oberson. I am your humble and obedient host. As always, 20 episodes, 20-odd episodes in. I'm still humble. I'm still obedient. Couldn't be more humble. Couldn't be more obedient to you, our listener, who I love. And Jake Menzel is here, the pastor who's a master of reading. How you doing, Jake? Great. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. And Brandon. Hey. Oh, go ahead. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Just okay? Yeah. You know, oh. I'm stoked to be here. Excited to be here with my two best friends recording the bookening. That sounds like you should be more than okay. Uh, I'm always stoked to be everywhere. So it Sounds like denial. It is want, a denial. Do you, want to, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I'm actually really depressed. I love you. Thanks. That makes one of us. And we're joined also by the man. There he is. Look at that chiseled jawline underneath a mound of fat. Like, where's the chiseling? It's hidden. It's hidden underneath fat. Like an uncarved Mount Rushmore. Like, they got done with the top half, but they didn't do the bottom half. I'm sorry, Brandon. Did I hurt your feelings? Uh, I still love you. Okay. Makes two of us now. Yep. That makes two people, two out of three, not so bad. He is, of course, a man with a fantastic sense of humor about his own obesity. Um, <laughs> at least I, my fingers are crossed. Oh, it's great. <laughs> and I, of course, am also, can make fun of Brandon, because as a certain mysterious phantom, I believe, mentioned in a couple episodes ago, uh, one of us is, in fact, Jumbo. That would be me. And Brandon's Dumbo. He's got the big ears and... Uh, yep. He can fly if he holds a feather in his trunk. That's right. <laughs> what am I? You're the mouse. <laughs> or one of those racist crows, maybe. <laughs> 
Why do you gotta be racist? <laughs> That's what they are. Aren't they like some jive talking pros? <laughs> I've seen about anything or everything. What is it? When I see an elephant fly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a jive, jive racist crow. <laughs> this is a giant uh, racist crow. Yeah. <laughs> Not giant, jive. Like, what's going on? <laughs> uh, anyway, he's right there. He's Brandon Chastain. He's my friend. He's actually much less fat than I am. The truly fat person in the room, the person that is occupying the most space out of this room is me. <sighs> but he's a very handsome fellow. He's married. I'm not. And his pen is cooler. He's got a pen in his pocket. I've got a Sharpie pen, which I argue is a fine pen. It is a fine pen. Uh, what do you got? Not the best. It is a precise rolling ball. A rolling. I, I used to use those. Jake has like a fancy. Oh, those pen. are good pens there. Well, Pilot Varsity. It's an oh, actually, that's not. You've pen. got like a forty dollar pen though. Usually, yeah. you carry around. Don't no, you? I I gave that up a long time ago. Actually, no. I prefer these disposable fountain pens to my Lamy All Star, whatever it was. <laughs> Jake is now holding up a Pilot Varsity. It's got the little curved tip yep. at the bottom. It's a very traditional looking pen. And I've got a Pilot Precise. This episode is brought to you by Pilot Pens. Pilot Pens. <laughs> you can buy Pilot Pens at any of your Walmart stores. <laughs> <laughs> pilot, you can't you can't buy the uh, pilot varsity at Walmart. Sadly, yeah. you can buy uh, like staples in a pack of like blue, purple, and black, huh. or you can get on like Amazon or something and buy like a a box of blue, which is what I did. But if anyone is really listening to this, I highly recommend the Sharpie pen. It will not bleed. It will not smear. It writes beautifully. It lasts forever. I love the sharpie pen i stand by it it will be my pen i will i will be clutching one in my dead fingers when i die probably if i happen to be writing something with my sharpie pen they're not actually that nice to write with just the pen to paper feel is not very nice that's why i prefer the pilot varsity i think if you're going for something in between then you probably want actually what brandon has so you're highbrow i'm lowbrow nice paper feel mine's about the the flow and the feeling of of writing with the fountain pen mine's about this is about pragmatism sheer utility and Brandon uh, Pilot Precise is right in between. It has almost it has the the best flow of anything that's not a fountain pen that you could want, but it doesn't have the non-smudgeability or whatever of of Nathan's Sharpie. But to me, non-smudgeability is like one of the number one things I look for in a pen. If Brandon's pen smudges, then it is. it doesn't matter what other qualities it has. It's out. It smudges. Yeah, well. It smudges well. only happen when you're careless with your hands though so why come on i use this thing for work my pen should be able to see me through not being you know it it should be able to bear with my weakness a a good pen makes me look good even on the days where i'm tired or where i'm gonna smudge the sharpie pen is forgiving the sharpening pen bears with me the sharpie pen overlooks a multitude of sins whereas the pilot varsity is for those who like me need no forgiveness yeah (laughs) (laughs) now Listener, you decide. <laughs> All right, best prose style, guys. Here it goes. I'm just going to move that we discount Shakespeare forever and always in this discussion. Because I second the motion. Class I third that motion. So oh. then I think there's no question that it comes down to three, and that's Jane Austen, Ernest Hemingway, and Marilyn Robinson. Does anybody want to make an argument for Huck Finn before we accept those three? I think, well, shoot. I think you can make the argument, for you sure. Can, you can make the he, argument. we got to narrow it down somehow here. Guys. He wrote in a dialect consistently throughout the whole book, and I, he didn't stray from it, and it's really hard to do, and I don't think any of his other writers were under that challenge. Mm-hmm, that's H- true. Hemingway actually was. Hemingway, the way he wrote almost in Spanish, 
mm-hmm. while writing in English was a really amazing thing. That's yeah, true. That's it true. gave that whole book this sort of Spanish feel while writing in English. It was a remarkable yeah. feat. If I had to eliminate any from that group, the first I would eliminate would be Marilyn Robinson. From the four or from the from three? From the four. Okay. So you'd eliminate I Robinson wouldn't. before Twain? No. So she would stay in there before Twain? Yeah. So you get rid of Twain? Yeah, I'm not sure. But I, Jake, think about the thunderballs and think about the, the lightning storm and think about think about the best of, put the best of Twain against the best of Robinson and the best of Twain might beat it. Now you might argue that Robinson gives you well, more. That's true. Robinson gives you more consistency, right? Yeah, I know she has a little gem on every page, but I don't know. Are you arguing Twain's the best? Not necessarily. I'm just, He's arguing. just trying to keep it interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I listen. I I think each of those four have their have their arguments, and I don't know how to how to make an objective standard except. Well, here's let me try something and see if you guys bite. He, okay. Um, I move that we remove Austin, give her a special jury prize for best articulator. She articulates thoughts like nobody's business and it blows your mind. But in terms of feeling and prose style and kind of describing things, she doesn't even try. She's not even – she doesn't – So she does. She doesn't even yeah. belong – Arguably, she doesn't belong in this category. As wonderful as what she is does, it's not actually what we're talking about. Okay. Um, so I move special jury prize for Austin. Well, but if somebody wants to say Austin belongs in a contest with these other guys, we can. Well, I mean, the, only, the case to make is that she exposits so much. Mm-hmm. And to be able to exposit as poetically and beautifully as she does without losing you, is that's a style achievement. Oh, sure, it is. But I'm... I I'm glad to take her out of it because I do think I don't want to go as far as you and say that she's the what did you say the Shakespeare of women but man maybe she is I, she's she is def- definitely in a different she's in a different category category I mean she's amazing what a mind I mean I'd put her mind against Hemingway's I definitely she you know she'd wipe the floor with Hemingway she wipes the floor oh, with man. Hemingway she the yeah. problem with Hemingway isn't his style it's his immaturity well if the bookening taught us one lesson taught me one lesson this year maybe i should save this for our recap at the end but content is king yeah content is king well east of eden is the purplest as i like to say the word purple it's it's not the best written book but if we're judging by style steinbeck goes down toward the bottom but who cares who cares but it's almost like you have to you can't really for the sake of a silly you know discussion like this you have to but can you really separate the two and if you can't separate the two then jane wins by virtue of being the best thinker i agree with that but but we're giving her a special jury prize so we can do this all right we've all agreed on the special jury. Okay, so i okay. Tw- twain i'm gonna i'm not voting for twain simply because of the first part and the last part of the book he the beauty and the consistency comes in the middle but i'm not sure it holds up but is that first. a story consideration or a style cons- you think the think style, style actually too. falters at the beginning yeah the I think yeah he's right I think it's both. He falls back. Yeah. You know, I never would have thought of that if he didn't say that, but he finds his footing and then he loses his footing with the, you know, he just like reverts into his sort of jokey style, doesn't he? Yeah. So then if I'm thinking of just the prose that moved me the most, we've got it down to either at the end of for whom the bell tolls. I mean, that's pretty moving when he's touching the tree and yeah. the way he describes that. And he's very, some of the scenery with Pilar's story is very vivid. He can paint a picture with words, but then so can Marilyn Robinson. You have the sprinkler, the drops coming from that, the baptismal scene, the church scene. Yeah. Who would I show a student 
That that, trying, that actually makes it easy for yeah, me. He's trying to learn how to write. I would I would say Hemingway is the answer there. Yeah, because he's simple. He's sparse. They might get bad habits from Robinson. They might decide they need to be ape something about her. Whereas Hemingway can only just teach you to cut and to find you know to keep it simple. So I don't know that that actually answers our question. But if you're just show don't tell, show don't tell, show don't tell, show don't tell. He had a style. Subtle, subtle, subtle. Less is more. Less is more. Less is more. You know, those are the lessons of Hemingway, and he just hammers them home to you. And you don't remember those metaphors like you do the poetry of Robinson, but poetry is a dangerous thing to give to someone who's too young for it. So, well, but that's that's not the uh, that's not I think the fair test. No, it's not the fair. The fair test is who has the poetry in their style as well. Man, I don't I don't want to give it to Robinson then. Well, sorry, I think that's your prejudice against her modernity. I think she's better than Hemingway. I think the reason, but but you make your argument. I think can we bring Jane back into this? (laughs) What about Dickens? I think the reason that horrible story stands is because it's propped up by an amazing prose stylist. Mm -hmm. And I think Hemingway's working with a lot better story. Even if we say the stories are immature, his set pieces, the the and it's a war torn romance. You can't yeah. hardly go wrong with that, I suppose. But Gilead, all that props it up and holds it up is just this beautiful, amazing sense of style and these insights into human nature so subtly woven through everything is just really really beautiful and if you've got the time and the will to to enter into her pace and accept it for what it is i think it's a really special book i just didn't find that to be that compelling but i couldn't step aside and i can't pretend that i just think I i think she's amazing and i i think that there's a lot to like about and really love about Hemingway's style and how maybe even how revolutionary it was or whatever. But you have this, a similar sort of thing going there. It, Twain, Hemingway, and Robinson are all requiring you to do things. Twain is requiring you to accept the dialects of all of his characters as a part of his style. Does he pull it off or doesn't he? Do you like it or not? That's a question. Hemingway is requiring you to do all kinds of weird things with this sort of Spanish cadence that he gives. It's amazing that he pulls it off. There are a lot of really great things about it. Robinson's doing the same thing. She's requiring you to stop and to slow down. And we all read that book under pressure. And I think to be able to step back Take the book for what it is and judge it by what it is, not for what we wanted or needed it to be for us, given the constraints of the show and everything else. I just think she's masterful. And so I also am prejudiced against a modern writer. I am I have my prejudices against that book and wanting to give it any credit whatsoever because of hype and all kinds of things that surround it. But I can't I can't bring myself to to deny how how wonderful a writer she is. And I think if I'm being honest with myself, I have to give her the prize for, for style. And that does fly in the face of a lot of things. And maybe it flies in the face of history and maybe I'll regret that stand even in a couple of years, but maybe you'll be the hero of the bookening, the guy, the one guy among the cynics that's, but I just, it. I just think if that's, if that's true, I see what you're saying, but your argument just makes me despair because I think if you can really prove that Marilyn Robinson is the best stylist, then that just shows how little I care about style because that book just didn't, I mean, spoiler alert, I'm going to say that that's the book that I didn't like the least probably of anything we read this year, but we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> Do you want to try and say that again? 
What did I say? The book you didn't like oh, the least. Oh, sorry. Double negative. Um, <laughs> the book that I didn't not like the least. Um, <laughs> Nicely done. This year. <laughs> uh, I just, man, I, style is what hits you in the gut. Gilead was a little, just a tiny bit sickly sweet, a little poetic, a little raindrops, a little hallmark, a little everything's always in slow motion and everything's sun drenched and everything's washed out in the movie version and it's just like, oh, it's slowed down so we can see the bubbles and it's there's some beautiful moments but nothing's going to stick with me like the cave in for whom the bell tolls or the death dialogue or, or honestly the death scenes or, or the sex scenes. I mean, if, you know, if I'm just going to be honest um, and the way that Hemingway pulls those off and yes, you could argue that's content trumping other content, but I think the style is so inexplicably linked. I mean, the fact that the sex and death scenes are so lame, you know, the story in For Whom the Bell Tolls is so, you know, we didn't like it, but, and I didn't like it, but the way that he makes those things, evokes those things is powerful. And I think I prefer personally his simplicity. I mean, all that Robinson has is her style. And at the end of the book, you feel a little bit, or I felt a little bit exhausted by it. Like this was all you had. And, you know, it's like eating calorie, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, spoiler alert, I never finished it. (laughs) And it was for the same reasons. And so I don't know why I feel the way I do about it. Because as I listen to you talk, it's like, yeah, I can call up the images from Hemingway much more easily than I can call them up from Robinson. But I think I think in the in the moment entering into it, I I want to say I was more moved by Robinson. Yeah, I mean, if I was just gonna like take a quote and sew it onto a quilt or or make a meme out of it, I guess I'd go with Gilead. You know, I mean, like it it, it pulls <laughs> out It's the most memeable. Well, I'm not. I, I don't mean to be condescending about it. I mean, it 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 it's these nice little bite sized chunks that work as their own thing. But um, I don't know. Maybe maybe the real argument I'm making is Twain here. I don't. What do you think, Brandon? We're or, making an argument for Twain. Well, I, I haven't. Here's yet. the thing. Here's the thing. We're in. We, Ending up arguing for two of our most disappointing books across the board. Yeah. Right? We're talking... I I don't think there's any question that For Whom the Bell Tolls and Gilead sit squarely at the bottom of the pile. Mm -hmm. And so maybe part of what we're trying to do is justify reading them in the first place. Yeah. I don't quite know, but I think... Would I go... Would I read them again? Would I recommend them be read again? I don't... I don't even know if these are the right questions. If we're going to go with what moves us, then forget them. Let's go with Twain because, or let's go with Steinbeck even. Let's bring Austin and Shakespeare back into the conversation. But if you're going to go with pure technique, I still think Hemingway might have it. I mean, the precision that that guy has. Um, and we haven't really eliminated Twain. Somebody could still, Twain could still be our dark horse. Um, but what are, what are your thoughts, Brandon? We haven't heard from you on those three. It's hard to decide what we mean by style um if it's just the prose that's on the page i think hemingway has it if it's the prose mixed with poetry i think robinson has it if it's prose mixed with what i'm going to actually remember and care to read again then i think twain has it um i don't think that i can discount all of twain's prose just because of the beginning and the end Mm -hmm. i think that like the scenes on the raft where they're going to the cities they're seeing the lights the scene where he realizes he's offended jim those are masterful the whole, uh, the tragedy of that one family, the feud, all this is just, it's beautifully drawn. 
Okay, what if we did this? What if we separated this idea of style into a couple of things? Like, who's the best at painting a scene? Who's the best at evoking... A feeling. A, an emotion. And who's the who's the best... Well, I don't think there's a third thing. Is there? The best at painting a scene, I think, would go with Twain. Well, it, it cuts Gil- uh, Robinson out. Yeah. And it makes it between Hemingway and Twain. And I think I think Twain for me just narrowly nudges out Hemingway. That last scene of For Whom the Bell Tolls is really powerful. I'm gonna go with Hemingway. Yeah. I, I like Twain way better and I love those raft scenes, but all that all Hemingway is is a movie that plays in your head. It's scene to scene and it's very vivid. You can and smell I can the campfire. Call, I can call it back. The pine, yeah. the scent of pine. I can pine, call the, the pictures. I can, I can, I can watch that movie in my head in a way I can't watch the movie of any of these other books. That's well, true. and it's a little bit like a movie with a John Williams score, where the score is just doing all the work. It's like they had sex. Nothing interesting about that. He got shot. You know, it's like all the interest comes from the style. And yes, Gilead is kind of the same way. But um, I mean, I guess even Twain. I guess all three of these stories are stories that. That, hey, they're floating on a raft. Who cares? Yeah. Hey, Robert Jordan and Maria are having puppy love. Who cares? You know, East of Eden is still a story of biblical proportion, whether it's however it's told, you could argue. Yeah, you uh, can see Spain. You can feel the pines. You can feel the tree trunk as he fills it at the end. This might just come down to personal preference. For me, Hemingway is more... Robinson feels poetic, and there's something about that I don't like. You know, it's she just... evokes the feelings. If we're going to go, who evokes the best feelings? Yeah. Maybe, she does. Maybe she wins. Because she's punchy. The slow motion, kind of, the sun going down and the moon coming up in the graveyard, that's something I'll remember. The scene in the church. Yeah. I think the real answer to this question is that you can't separate style from content, and that's what we're really talking around here. That's but right. anybody want to argue that? <laughs> no, that's, no, I don't. That, that's we're really arguing it. against it. And that style, you know, is something of a personal preference. I mean, yeah. uh, I don't want to say it's all but subjective. I think what, but what, we're, what we're saying is that Style can get you a lot of points with a a certain type of person, but it ain't us. Not us, baby. It ain't us. Um, Take your style and go home. (laughs) Yeah, the style in all three of those books is wonderful. I don't know. I'm gonna. I think this is gonna be the question that I'm gonna regret tomorrow that I didn't like just come up with the smashing argument for why Twain wins, maybe. Or uh, this is gonna be the what do the French call it? Like the refrigerator wit or stare wit or whatever their phrase is for you know the thing that you think of when you the thing that this smashing comeback i should have had for jake that i'll think as i get my you know jello out of the pudding or whatever jello out of the pudding, out of the pudding. <laughs> as i get my jello out of the fridge out of the pudding, yeah. you know i'll think oh i should have said that to jake he would have started crying and he would have known that twain was the best but and i don't know that twain is the best that's just i to that example from nowhere it'd be twain or hemingway for me not robinson but that may just me be, be me hating robinson's lame story yeah twain and hemingway they do very similar things as far as the images that you see and yeah. remember don't know that it's entirely fair to say that i'm predisposed to hate i don't know i'm examining myself and trying to decide if i just don't like robinson as much she's losing points because she's modern maybe that's true i don't know i i don't think i could make a case for it but i do feel that the only way it comes across is how intent you've been over the course of this show to defend anybody who has been considered a time-honored classic yeah i mean hemingway is a really good example of that going into hemingway i was sending you guys notes on our slack forum that guys we really have to do hemingway justice nobody likes him anymore he's out of critical favor we need to and then i was disappointed hemingway didn't come through for me but my instinct was to 
protect to help a guy out and my instinct was to be suspicious of robinson that's very true but listen robinson's great she deserves to be in this conversation i'll say that she's sure her pro style is amazing the bubbles the if, if robinson goes down in posterity it'll be because she was a great pro stylist i don't want to take that away from her um who are we going to give the award to should we just give it to jane austen and be done with this give it to jane austen yeah let's give it to jane all right jane come on down come on, surprise win <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can split it with uh, with with Billy Billy S. Um, do I want to say worst pro style? Uh, Bram Stoker. Yep. Anybody want to anybody want to argue for Steinbeck? Nope. 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 Bram Stoker. What about <laughs> yep. Dickens with all his annoying? Nope. nope. Okay. It is Brahms. Kipling. Sorry, Kipling. Nah. Nope. No, no, Ricky Tiki Tabby's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, right. The first part of Dracula is pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bram Stoker. Still Bram. Bram Stoker's yeah. always like, and then I had an uncanny feeling of the uncanny, <laughs> uncannily creeping up on me. <laughs> Are you getting that this was uncanny here? Um, all right. Sorry, Bram. You get a special prize for nothing. <laughs> I still like you, though, buddy. You saw me through my teenage years. I don't know if we're going to actually be able to pull this but out of our brains, but best scene, guys. What was, the favorite, was just your favorite scene to read? Ah. Uh. Man, I'm gonna immediately say it's probably gonna come for me out of the first two books, or maybe Huck Finn. Yeah. So you've got all the those really great scenes of Pre- and Prejudice, the funny scenes, the painful scenes. East of Eden has such great scenes, and then Huck. Oh man, I don't know what I don't know how to. You know, it's weird to say that for him the bell tolls is the most cinematic and that Hemingway paints the best scenes and to not have him be part of the conversation but I think when it comes down to best scene there's a lot more that has to go into it doesn't it although Hemingway for some of those flashbacks Pablo taking the village yeah like that that could be in the running if I mean, if you just forget about Robert Jordan and Maria, the other stuff in the book, the, the uh, general what's his face's last stand up on the hill, pretty great. Yeah. Okay, so those would be. You've got you got Huck on the raft with Jim. Are you going to choose a specific moment from that, or just can we just call that a scene? Um, I think just to keep the contest interesting, you have to choose a moment, which I could do. I'm already thinking of one. Mine might be where uh, uh, Huck call me a sentimental old softy, but where Huck lies to Jim about yep. and, and then realizes that Jim was cared about him and feels bad that's mm-hmm. just really that's what i would think or when huck wakes up and jim's crying about his daughter mm-hmm. that's a good one um or he decides not to turn him over yeah yeah just really tem- tem- sweet. T- his thought yeah. process is so sweet. really really sweet but i don't think those scenes as nice as they are and as much sentimental value as they have for me from my childhood i don't think they stand next to uh, the scenes of east of eden Mm-mm. as artful and as funny and as awesome as some of Austin scenes are, I don't think. For me, it really comes down to three scenes from East of Eden probably being one, two, three. And those are Sam fights Adam, mm-hmm. Cal and Adam at the breakfast table, mm-hmm. and the final scene. And you might even go ahead and throw Cal confronting Kathy or Adam confronting Kathy in there too. It's just like, I might throw just for call me an old or softie, the Lee and Abra, Lee and Abra yeah, yeah, the Lee and Abras. I never had a daughter or whatever. That's like yeah, a I was real tearjerker. Either that one or the breakfast scene. So for me, I think it it's just the breakfast scene. Yeah, with Cal and Adam at the breakfast table after Ooh, Cal's night in jail. It's really powerful. Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, before we get there, does anybody want to argue that do you want to argue Brandon for anything from outside of East of Eden? No, I was already thinking of the breakfast scene. 
Okay. I I can't. Everything about that scene is just drawn so perfectly. It's so poignant. I'm, I'm going to cry thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. I really, like, that scene is just perfect. And he suddenly and can be, like, naked with his, uh, oh, his father. Oh, his... man, it's so raw and so painful. And I think that that's a scene that maybe you have to be a man, a son, for it to be the best scene. So maybe we should be able to step outside of that and evaluate. But for me personally, there's just nothing that holds a candle to that scene. He gets so much at the core of father hunger of every boy and the inadequacies and weaknesses of every father. That's just, it's so, it's so well done. It's so, so good. I mean, I, if I start to think about that scene and paint it again, just let it come back to me, I will start crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, the, that's probably the, the only test we need. <laughs> the power of it. Yeah, uh, it, it captures what Steinbeck is really good at, which is the scene building. So like Lee coming back and deciding he's going to stay mm. it's these just yeah. little moments that are beautiful <laughs> and it was the second book that we read and it still is the most poignant and powerful yeah and once you start thinking about the scenes of that book there's really no end to it even if you want to do like uh liza's plane ride you know <laughs> yeah, there's like, just some weird scene or liza with the parrot there's <laughs> yeah, just like yeah. some <laughs> it's really bizarre. great it's just yeah. really great or anything with Son Tom. I mean, it's just oh, man. when when his sister comes back and he accidentally, you know, kills her with the sickness and uh, oh boy. <laughs> and that book had some really dry and dumb moments. Yeah. Well, there was always we've mentioned it multiple times, but the when the thighs of women lost their clutch, Jake. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, I mean, but that's the thing you love about Steinbeck that. That man, he wasn't trying to be a stylist. He was trying to tell good stories in the context of a good story, and he swung for the fences. Yep. Man, he sure hit a lot of them out of the park, and you'd take the strikeouts with the home runs. And he knew how to make a character alive. So mm-hmm. what was the one brother who was the businessman? Charles? Sam's son. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 Will. Will, that's mm-hmm. right, yeah. He gets, the scene. he gets that one scene where... He kind of comes alive too. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that when Cal comes to yeah, him and he like sees himself in Cal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So each character has a moment. So. That was the biggest book we read, with the most intricate plot. We can still name characters, the second, and we can name very, very tertiary characters and call up those scenes. And I couldn't pull the general from for whom the bell tolls to save <sighs> my life. But you know, if I was a betting man, I'd say that it was. It's going to be very similar to the other big book we're reading. Yeah, I'm going to give it to East of Eden. I'm trying to think if anybody deserves to kind of be mentioned as a as a. Uh... You know, um, we went in Huck. We went to Huck on the raft. I'm just going to going to throw a couple other scenes from Huck out there. Huck in the cabin with his dad. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice. Uh... I'm laughing because you're right. I mean, it's a great scene. It's a great scene. Out in the graveyard toward the end with the rainstorm, the Duke and the King and everybody slipping away. Oh, yeah. That's he, just that's a great, like, gothic crowd pleaser of a scene. That's yeah. just a fun yeah. little turn of storytelling there. That's a great scene. Just for its visceral gut-wrenchingness when the Duke and the King show up. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it's a really powerful scene when they show up. Just the way that your heart sinks and you just want to die. Other than the death of that 
Hatfield and McCoy family, whatever their names were, that's that's pretty powerful too. Um, I, I I I do feel we'd we'd be remiss not to mention Christmas Carol, which is basically we're not gonna give it any prizes because we're also used to it and we've seen the movies a billion times and nobody wants to waste our our best scene vote on the Christmas Carol. But the Christmas Carol is basically just a collection of some of the best yeah, scenes ever written, just like yeah. sewed together. So let's not let's not. Uh, Macbeth is literally scenes. Well, yeah, <laughs> that opening scene of Macbeth, right? That's certainly a striking. Yep, yep. Yeah. The three witches deserve a mention. And uh, let's see here, the part where Mina and Lucy listen to that guy, <laughs> that old man on the bench, oh, tell yeah. them stories in an indecipherable that's, dialect. That's such that's, a fantastic uh, scene. Well, if you do want to go Dracula, Jonathan Harker. Uh, just the whole approach at the to beginning, the, camp, the, yeah. the carriage ride. The three weird sisters. The three in weird the, sisters. In the room. When he's like exploring, Dracula climbing down the wall is great. Yeah, and then that attack on Mina, pretty great. Where he, Stoker has his one good turn of phrase that I forgot to mention in the podcast. I'll, when we did it, I'll mention it now. Where he says he was d- dunking her head in the blood like a, a, a child pushes a kitten's head into milk. So that was a nice, nice little horrific bit of storytelling there, Mr. Stoker. Uh, but yeah, East of Eden is, I think, obviously going to be mine. Yeah, the breakfast scene, super powerful. Tim Schull at the end, hard to argue with that. Mm-hmm. That that scene's what set me crying for 45 minutes, but... It's the it culmination really, of the novel. I that's mean, it's, right. It's, it's not, the payoff yeah. for everything that came before and... You can, I mean... It shows a real art. I think in terms of a storyteller's craft, that final scene's pretty fantastic because he's just like, the whole novel, he's like, Timschel's important. Did I remind you? Did you forget hey, about Timschel? Hey, he's going to say, you know, Timschel, probably some Timschel's Remember that action. time we talked about Timschel? Yeah, Timschel, yeah. I've never forgotten Timschel. And so you're like, Timschel, Timschel, Timschel. When's Timschel going to come? Here comes Timschel. Oh, it's Timschel. And then you burst into tears. I guess Timschel's going to be the last word of the novel, you say to yourself halfway through the book. And right. Yeah. And then it is. And then it is. Basically, and, it is. Still lose it. and you still lose it. Yeah. yeah so that's, that's really great. I don't know how he does that. That's just magic. That's just storyteller magic. And I, I, I wouldn't have a clue how to tell a student to, what to learn from that. It's just, it's just a great storyteller being a great storyteller and yep. hard to argue with it. Um, but yeah, probably the breakfast scene, my sentimental, my, my heart goes out to Abra and Lee. Actually, that's, that might be my vote. It's just stick to it. You stick, uh, to lee over sam stick to that lee and abra scene yeah it's just i mean i love lee he's he's my vote for coolest you know male character i think i love that he gets this reward it's so sweet so nice i mean it's there's there's so much uh schadenfreude a lot of the best literature is about watching bad guys get it but even more hits the pleasure center of your brain to watch good guys get rewarded Mm -hmm. and uh that's what that lee scene is all about it's just he's such a in the actual world of the book, he's such a thankless hero. Yeah. The only, we're the only people that see his heroism. Yeah, nobody gets it, except for when you finally realize Abra gets it, you know, because Cal doesn't get it. Cal takes him for granted. Adam takes him for granted. The whole community is just mean to him, basically, racist. And then when you realize, oh, Abra gets it, and she appreciates him, and she loves him, and he's a better father to her than, and a father that she loves more than a real father, it's just like, makes me want to lose it. So come on down. John. John Steinbeck, yeah. All right, guys, we're rounding something like the home stretch here. Best quote. Anybody gonna be able to pull that? Whew. Nope. I will not. Sorry. I can give you a couple off the top of my head. Um, what? 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 
Tim Shaw. Tim Tim Shaw would be a good one. Uh, unsex me. Unsex me spirits. Uh, Macbeth obviously double, has double boil in trouble. Clutch of <laughs> women's size lost their clutch. Women's yeah. size lost their clutch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even remember the context for that. All I remember is that women's size had clutch, and then they lost it. Um, uh, some Mary quotes from Pride and Prejudice. Oh yeah, well Pride and Prejudice. What are men to mountains? Yeah, yeah. Pride and Prejudice is full of good quotes. Mr. Bennett has some good lines in there. It's a fine world and it's worth dying for, whatever, from Hemingway. It was good. That's right. Yeah. We're going to have to give it to something, guys. Should we give it to King Laugh? Give it to King Laugh. <laughs> yes. King Laugh. Come on down. Jake refuses to clap for King Laugh. Boo. <laughs> All right, you got a better? Uh, humbug. Humbug? Okay, humbug. Um, oh, come on. We get, there's got to be something from either Toil, prime. toil. Boil, boil. Bless us, everyone. Nope. Boo. Um... Pride and Prejudice. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a man with a good fortune must be in want of a lady. Wife. 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 There we go. Okay. Uh, no, Jake doesn't want to clap for it. I, I don't know what's going to win me. I could... Well, surely Macbeth. Gotta... You know, one of my favorite lines is just when Sam is spouting off his nonsense. Did I do it right? And then he says, did I do it right? That was a really great line. That was a great line. Uh, but it's I'm not the board. best quote. It's not a quote, but it's yeah, a great line. <laughs> yeah, you just have to look it up. You can read it. <laughs> you quoted it. Did I do it right? <laughs> I just quoted it. Ooh, what, what about, uh, so, the Spear Danes in days gone by. Should we give it to Haney? So, the Spear Danes in days gone by. Haney's not going to win any other awards. Yeah, let's greatness. give it to Haney. I can get behind that Haney! Come on down, Haney. I think it's Heaney, isn't it? Heaney is. Oh, sorry. Heaney, come on down. Heaney. All right, guys, we come to it. The book. Best book of the year. Book of your most... Or do, do... Yeah, no, it's all the same thing. Best book you're most likely to recommend. East of Eden. Over Pride and Prejudice? Yep. Oh, so it's going to be a split vote for you, huh? You don't know what you're going for. I didn't come into this knowing what it was going to be. It'd be one of those two. I didn't know what it was going to be until you just asked it. It was going to be one of those two, but I've had so many of the feels (laughs) brought back up from East of Eden. For whom the bell tolls. Boo! Does does anybody, do you want to make an argument for a dark horse, Brandon, or will it be one Uh. of those two? There are only two that come close to... Well, Huck is right, but no. When it comes to the one I'd be most likely to recommend, if I had to sell somebody on reading a book, there are a lot of people, maybe a wider audience I would recommend Pride and Prejudice to. East of Eden, I'm not going to be as inclined to recommend that to a woman because it's so father and son oriented. Pride and Prejudice is just full of wisdom for everybody in every stage of life, married unmarried, male, female, especially if you're single. And so there are lots of single people that I wish, I I think I said in those episodes that when I was teaching on relationships to college students, I read the book and I almost just wanted to make everybody read the book because it's so full of wisdom. So there's just a whole lot of timeless wisdom about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, about relationships, about humility, and that that Steinbeck doesn't get, he can't touch the level of wisdom and sophistication that Austin does, but what Steinbeck gets, man, is so powerful. I almost feel like Steinbeck's going to get it because the course of this conversation has given me the warm fuzzies about Steinbeck, but I feel like I probably could have gotten the warm fuzzies about Austin if we'd ended up talking. We, We just like so thoroughly talked about her at the beginning of the year. We didn't really have to like 
talk about her again. But if we if we if if I'd start thinking about how funny Mary was or Mr. Collins or just the wisdom. I mean, in hearing you start to talk a little bit about Austin, I was like, "Oh, Austin's." But Well, bef- here's the thing. If if there's a book on this list, I could pick up tomorrow and start again. It would probably be Pride and Prejudice, and the reason is because it's a lot of things. One thing is because it's one of the one of my hesitations in recommending East of Eden would be it's so long and it's not going to pay off, start to pay off until you get about halfway through and then you got to get into the final third. And so there are things that could stop you. No, it, Jane Austen's like, you're going to get a nugget every chapter. And you're just going to learn so much. Mm. And and it's going to be pleasurable, enjoyable. You're going to get carried straight through to the end. There's nothing that's going to hold you up on a first read. I did get held up on my second read, but that was just re- recalling the pain of scenes to come. Right. But yeah, it's just going to drive you right through. It's going to be funny. It's going to be moving. It's not going to make you cry or anything like It might make you cry just a little bit just because of if you're really sentimental about, you know, an honorable man doing what's right. Yeah, you, I mean, know? you get to see good people rewarded, like I was talking about with, about with Lee. Yeah. You have some of that but, same but, anti-Schadenfreude, whatever it's called. Yeah, but it's nowhere near the, the, the payoff pay and power of what Steinbeck's able to do in East of Eden. So it's, he, and so for young men, especially young men who have who really need to process their relationships to their brothers and fathers as of as a first thing this is east of eden 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 mm-hmm. um but to a more general audience maybe it is pride and prejudice what were you going to say were your dark horse you said there were two that you could also see being in the running for dark horse brandon well for people who drive and like to listen to audiobooks beowulf read by seamus heaney Hands Pretty down. awesome. Oh, the one if it's uh, holiday, and he time. reads it himself. Yep, uh, holiday time. Read Dracula. Christmas Carol. Oh yeah, yeah. Dracula. Which holiday are you talking about here? <laughs> Christmas. Oh, I see. Uh, um, Christmas Carol. It's fun to read. Mm-hmm. Dickens. He's just he's fun. He makes the story fun. But if I was going to recommend a book to anyone, it would be Pride and Prejudice. East of Eden would be very close second. The reason the reason Pride and Prejudice is because most men wouldn't want to be told to read it or have it recommended to them, and yet it would do them a world of good to read it. True story. So, but <clears throat> if it was just if I knew I was recommending it to a particular type of man, a man who I thought needed to read it, it would be used to be in hands down. Mm-hmm. And they, it's really, it's kind of tied. But I'm, Jake's right. I don't think I would recommend East of Eden to a woman. At least not as the top choice here. No, I might recommend it to her so, yeah. if she wanted to uh, understand a man. Can it, can it be tied? Well, it would it would have to be you know helping her understand her husband or her father or her, something like that. I mean, it's not that I, I'm happy to. I recommend if you're a woman listening to this podcast, I recommend that you read East of Eden. It's just a question of what would you be most likely to recommend, maybe to the most people. And um, I just think um, that book's so much for fathers and sons. It's not gonna. Yeah, it's not likely to mean as much to you because you're right. Which I could pick up Pride and Prejudice and start reading. But whether you're a man or a woman, yeah. that it's immaterial when it comes to Pride and Prejudice. It's just going to be awesome and and funny but, and yeah. helpful. I'd, see, I'd be sad to see both of, either of those books not appear on a list of like the books we're going to save right. for humanity. Go into your time capsule. Oh, yeah, the yeah. others, the others, I could part with. Oh, it'd be tough. It'd be but, tough. But those are the two. Yeah, Huck would be a really hard for me to part with. That I would be I the think, other one that would be the hardest. 
if you want to say like you must choose two of these books and all others will be obliterated from your memory from history from time you know someone will use a magical sci-fi weapon that takes these books and removes them from from our world and from all you know from all time and memory um there's no question in my mind that pride and prejudice and east of eden would be the ones i would save be hard to lose uh dracula but (laughs) no it'd be hard to lose huck finn that'd be the next one um but man, Christmas Carol would be hard too. Wow. Just because the movies, if nothing else. I am going to cheat. My podcast, darn it, I started it. He's going to pick an author. No, I'm going to abstain and let what? Brandon be the Pride and Prejudice vote. You be the East of Eden vote. I, I refuse to break that vote. I think they're both fantastic books. I think young men that want to understand relationships, women themselves, men need to read Austin. I think ladies and people could, I, I know what you mean about East of Eden, but at the same time, the reason I read East of Eden in the first place is my mom read it and loved it. I think there's a lot that both sexes can learn from both books, and uh, I'd recommend them wholeheartedly to everyone. And probably if I had to choose one to be obliterated, (sighs) I can't. (laughs) I mean, I really, I'm not going to make that choice. You guys can't make me make that choice. Jane Austen wins and Steinbeck wins and East of Eden wins. Uh, Pride and Prejudice is more fun. It's more funny. East of Eden is more powerful and... uh, But funny. Also funny, though. Jane Austen is a better person, a better Christian, a better writer than Steinbeck, the serial marriageizer was. So if I had to choose one person to remove from history, I suppose it'd be Steinbeck over. I'd let, I'd let Jane Austen live unless somebody just wants to put a gun to my head. I know that this is a really nice way to round this up, but I'm not sure I'd want to let you make me be Mr. Steinbeck because I was sort of straddling the fence still. Well, can we all just agree to straddle the fence together then? Yeah, I'll straddle the fence. You don't have to straddle. You came down on Pride and Prejudice. I, I oh man, you made a good argument, Brandon. Pride and Prejudice. I think it's probably Pride and Prejudice, but I'm just not prepared to obliterate East of Eden from the conversation. I mean, East of Eden made me cry for a combined seventy minutes now um, between both readings. I mean, it's powerful and. The thing about both those books that I would say is that both those books, like, look, it's going to sound corny, but if you want to be a better person, read both those books. Like, you will understand yourself better. You will understand your place in the universe better. You will understand. Once again, I hear Jake's voice in the back of my head, but East of Eden doesn't do it for the ladies. Okay, I did not say that. <laughs> I, I did not say that. It doesn't do it as much. It is more for the men. And yes, it is. Your voice is right, but man... Every woman that wants to understand men, which I would think would be every woman, you should read East of Eden. I make no choice. (laughs) Here I stand. I can do no other. (laughs) All right, then. Yay, Nathan. (laughs) Yay, Nathan. Jake refuses to clap for me. very brave of you, (laughs) Martin Luther. (laughs) (laughs) If I have to make a choice, I can't make a choice. You think I should make a choice, Jake? What choice would you make if you were in my shoes? Probably go with Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, it's Pride and Prejudice. Jane Austen's wonderful. <sighs> I feel you. These are two books very hard to choose from. You're making me feel like I need to defend myself. I don't I think you defended yourself just fine. No, you did it. You made a great argument I for think that Well, Nathan's books. all like, Jake says East of Eden's not for women. Oh, that point. That's just like total garbage. <laughs> it's not what I said. I don't think women should read. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, how, what about cookbooks? <laughs> yeah, they can read cookbooks. Right. That's fine. They need to be taught to read uh, like uh, recipes. Recipes. Yeah. That's about it. 
Right. So if women shouldn't read, then Pride and Prejudice loses some points right there. Do you think they should write? Ooh. Wait. <laughs> Paradox. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I made you sound bad. I'll... I didn't make you sound bad, though. What did I say? Oh, oh, he just... Jake thinks East of Eden's is not for the ladies. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to be dumb like Jake and say East of Eden's not for ladies, then I guess, you know, I could be dumb like Jake. <laughs> I think that's what you said, about how you said it. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, I, I don't want to choose, but it's Pride and Prejudice, but I don't want to choose. Least likely to recommend. Worst book of the year, guys. For him, the bell tolls. Yeah, I think we've already made a good argument for it. It's for him, the bell tolls. Gilead. Huh. Just didn't like it. Rubbed me the wrong way somehow. I, I wasn't around to discuss it. You guys, I, I had a nice discussion. I listened to it with the Mysterious Phantom. But it just, uh, Yeah, it must be my fond memories of that guy. That is The Mysterious Phantom? Yeah. He's yeah, a great, he's great guy. Kind of, he had a little more equanimity as a host, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you guys like him better. Decide. As far as best hosts go, I'll give it to the Mysterious Phantom <laughs> if you want. Um, How about that machine that was going to end? That blew us all up, remember? Oh, yeah. We got that was a good up. host. Yeah, that was a good host. <laughs> Um, question Tron 2000. The Question Tron 2000, yeah. Works. I was just see if I can order a Question Tron 3000 for the for next year. Yeah, Gilead just like was such a lame story, and John Ames was a lame man, and the way that it ended with the cheap grace that it offered, just I don't care if she was a good writer. You know, it had Gilead was like five good scenes that all will stick with me, and nothing else. For whom the bell tolls, at least, is kind of an interesting action adventure Hollywood kind of story with some good blood and thunder and romance and stuff. I can't see myself recommending for whom the bell tolls under any circumstances. I just can't. I um, because the story and the character is just too repugnant and it's, lame. It's and, just lame. It's just yeah. totally lame. I can't see myself recommending. Gilead to somebody who needs to slow down and you know slow it down you're moving too fast gotta make the moment last yeah <laughs> one of the kick back on the cobblestones appreciate the moment appreciate live in the moment man hey dad before it passes you by learn to treasure that stupid dandelion your kid brought you mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but i don't know i probably still wouldn't use petals yes. uh, it's, it's, it's interesting yeah, just go watch uh, yeah. perhaps it's you, a wonderful life yeah. perhaps yeah. you guys just because you guys are both fathers i don't have that that uh yeah there's some maybe. sweetness there, there. there might be some sweetness that i'm missing that's possible Man, Gilead is just lame. I mean, for whom the bell tolls may be a whiff, like he swung for it and he missed, but at least he swung for it. Gilead's just like, I don't know, maybe it is an anti-modern bias or something, but Gilead just rubs me the wrong way. Of all the books that we read, it's just like Marilyn Robinson is the most full of herself, annoying writer who thinks she has something to say and doesn't. You could say all the same things about Hemingway. Maybe I'm being sexist. I don't know. Maybe it's just personal preference again, but Gilead is just like... I don't know, that Beowulf writer was pretty full of himself. Oh, yeah, well, I suppose. Hemingway's philosophy is just repugnant, and I don't see... I, I can't imagine recommending that to Elliot when he's old enough to read. Yeah, that's so, true. You got a point. Here's some really two-dimensional machismo for you to... Yeah. That's gross. You don't, I, want, I don't want him aspiring to be Robert Jordan. You certainly don't want your daughters to aspire to be Maria. Nope. No. <laughs> so, okay. Well, do I have to choose? Can we just say they both suck? <laughs> Yeah, we can say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, we already have. Would like, you genuinely recommend to Gilead, Danny? But okay, f- fine. For whom the bell tolls win or wins the loses, <laughs> it's the worst book of the year. But 
now Gilead, would you actually recommend? I would not actually I can't imagine recommending it. I wouldn't recommend. Nobody needs to slow down that much. <laughs> just like well, there's probably there's just probably a better. And if they do, I think we'll find other authors who could do that for them. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna read Willa Cather. Or yeah, hey, here's or, an idea: get some poetry. You know, read some poetry, actual poetry. Yeah. Or yeah, but Willa Cather is who I was thinking. She teaches you to slow down fairly well. Yeah. I just think you can get what Gilead gives you in other places and you can get it better and you can get it mixed in with a better message and with better characters and with a better story. Yep. So yep, G- probably Gilead's just the one that rubbed me. So the wrong toss way. them both in the fire pit, both in the fire pit. We're going to put it, put them both in a time capsule and then set that time capsule on fire. There we go. Good riddance. It's funny that Jungle Book and Dracula have survived. Survived are least likely to recommend. Yeah. I'd recommend both of those in a heartbeat before either of the other two. I would, The too. Jungle Book? Well, the mm-hmm. Jungle Book, at least I'd say Ricky Tikki Tavi's great, and the Mowgli stories aren't terrible, and a certain uh, person might like them. Jungle Book, I don't have a problem. Sure. The idea that someone out there likes the Jungle Book is fine with me. The idea that somebody out there likes For Whom the Bell Told or Gilead is like, okay, that person's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> um, it's you're making a mistake. You're wrong if you think that For Whom the Bell Tolls or Gilead is a good novel. If you, if you like the Jungle Book, then your taste is just different than mine. Whatever, live and let live. And Dracula, we have high standards here. Yeah, Dracula is what it is. What it is. It's lame. It's kind of lame. It's kind of fun. It's got a great first few pages. Yeah. So. There we go. There we go. Into the fires. This is our official bookening decision, by the way, about Gilead. We've decided that it's not going to stand the test of time. So posterity, check it out. Were we right or wrong? Quit reading it. Yep. Judge us. Judge us. Yeah. hundred years from now, posterity. Do you even know what we're talking about? Do you even listen to podcasts? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, guys, I think we uh, need to be done. Let me just quickly announce the books for next year that we'll be reading so everybody can know. Probably we don't have a really good drum roll effect to put in there. Yeah, that's true. Anybody have any final thoughts about the books from this year? Nope. If if we, how many actually do make the time capsule? Oh, that's fun. Uh, Pride and Prejudice. Yes. East of Eden. I'm gonna say yes. I'm with you Huck so far. Finn. Yep. Yes. Macbeth. Yes. Yep. Christmas Carol. Yeah. And mm. Heaney's version of Beowulf. Yes. Yes, Heaney. Some with all of that except Christmas Carol. Ah, oh, come on, have a humbug. Have a heart. Humbug. Humbug. <laughs> Your love hate relationship with Dickens continues. Yeah. Here's we only have a hundred spots in our time capsule. So as the seasons progress, we may end up having to eliminate things. Okay, but we're gonna go ahead and say to, that that um. Fine, we can put it in there. But, but just, in the future, if it fills up, I'm with you. That's the first to go so far. Yeah. Of the, of these, yeah. Yeah. Next might be well, as long as we got a hundred spots and this we don't is, have. This is gonna sound maybe yes funny i think the next to go just because there are better ones mm-hmm. would be Macbeth. yeah i think yeah. so <laughs> isn't that weird it, it's supposedly one of the biggest crowd pleasers but i don't think it touches the best of shakespeare mm-hmm. doesn't please please this me crowd. this crowd <laughs> yeah <laughs> Macbeth is not one of my favorite shakespeare yeah i would drop Macbeth first after christmas carol and then i would probably drop beowulf yeah i would drop beowulf because i don't really care about the story i just like heenies i mean <laughs> if we're being honest about yeah we're just I mean, if we want to talk about stylists, I mean, what what Heaney did was like (laughs) unreal. All right, guys, let's go back. Let's retroactively give the style award to Heaney as the dark horse. (laughs) I think that's probably true. He should get it. (laughs) 
We had such trouble with that anyway. We were trying to give it to Robinson and Hemingway. We both wrote novels we hate. So uh, that's oh, yeah. Funny. <laughs> that's right. Forget them. <laughs> yeah. Heaney wins it. Yeah. It would make sense for a poet to be the best stylist anyway. Yeah. He, of course Heaney wins. We didn't even... We're idiots. We just saw Beowulf up there and all of us went, ugh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before I read the list of books for next year, anything anybody wants to like retroact from the other podcast like anything you regret saying or think you should have added or anything you want to confess or Uh, you're not going to be able to pull anything right now probably but i thought i confess that i never finished gilead yeah well that says it all as far as gilead being a dumb book i confess that i only watched macbeth I also only watched Macbeth, but I don't consider I that to be a confession. I didn't only watch. I read the first, at least the first act. I confess that I listened to quite a few of these books on audible.com. <laughs> <laughs> All right, drumwell, please. Controlling <laughs> <laughs> motor. This is the, yeah. <laughs> All right, so these are the novels we're going to be reading next year, fellas. January. Anna Karenina. Yay. Great Yay. novel. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. February. Jane Austen comes back in high style with Emma, one of her popular favorites. Everybody looking forward to that? February is Austen month. February will be Austen month for every year of the bookening for as long as we do this podcast, we'll, which will we'll be... cycling back through. If it... At least two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, March, That Hideous Strength by C.S. Lewis. That's a really interesting book. Uh, April, we're bringing up the Southern Gothic, uh, uh, I don't know what I want to say about it, As I Lay Dying by Faulkner. Oof. That is a, a interesting one for me because I read a lot of Faulkner when I was young and a lot of it went over my head and I'm wondering yeah. if it was Faulkner's fault or my fault. I, no, I don't know. It's Faulkner's fault, but hey, okay. we'll talk about that <laughs> Spoiler next Spoiler alert, Brandon says it was Faulkner. May... <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am excited. I know a lot of people love Milne. I've never read in Milne. I know the Walt Milne's Disney movies. Um, June, Heart of Darkness. Oof. Conrad. We will also be watching Apocalypse Now because obviously. Uh, why not? Why not? The great adaptation. Yeah, sure is it. We'll be discussing that in June. July, one of my personal favorite. Borges, Labyrinth, short story collection. I forgot about that one. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Brandon? Oh, it's going to be crazy. That's fantastic, but it's going to be crazy. That's a weird. I don't even know what we're going to say about that. We're uh, going to have all sorts of people wondering what <laughs> what we were thinking. Right. August, Shakespeare Month, A Midsummer Night's Dream. That would be good, a very nice turn from yeah. uh, Macbeth. That's a good Shakespeare in the Park kind of Yeah. Play. I have to admit, I've never read it. I don't really know what it's about. I think there's some star-crossed lovers or something. I know it's a comedy and things some happen. Greek gods some, get involved. Some it's gods. crazy stuff. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Jake, you've read Midsummer's Night's Dream. Mm-hmm. September, My Antonia. I've not read it. You guys read it? No. Yes. You read it? Willa Cather? I'm sure it'll be good. October, Halloween month. We're going to do a little Bradbury. Something Wicked This Way Comes. Anybody read that? Nope. I have read it, loved it as a kid, don't know whether it'll hold up at all. November, here's one that probably a lot of people won't have even heard of, Martin Dresler. That's a novel by Stephen Milhauser. I don't think either one of you guys have read it. I haven't. I read it, really enjoyed it. November is going to be our Pulitzer Prize winning month because we did Gilead this last year and Martin Dresler is also a Pulitzer or Pulitzer. I don't ever know whether I'm saying that right. Prize winning novel. Stephen Milhauser, wonderful writer of kind of weird, uncanny I don't even know how to describe him, but he's wonderful. Check him out if you haven't already. I'm looking forward to that one. He's got a lot of short stories. He's a, primarily a short story writer, and his short story writer, the stories are fantastic. But so is his novel. December, 
It's going to be Mr. James Joyce with the Dubliners. It's a very interesting sophomore year we got. Yeah, this is, yep. yeah, no, I mean, these are some interesting books. I don't, I've read. James Joyce is going to be fun to talk about. Yeah, I've read, I've read less of these books than I did last year. So curious to see how it goes, what we say. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And in summation, guys, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year as we approach January. It's been a fun year of doing the booketing together. I think we've I've learned a little something and enjoyed you guys' company along the way and look forward to doing it all over again in 2017. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bless us, everyone. Humbug. <laughs> <laughs>